Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, hello. Hi, I'm not Micah. You're not Micah. I was going to say, hey Micah, just kidding. <laughs> hey Steph. Hi Olivia, we've locked Micah in a cupboard. We've not let him yes. out this week. <laughs> Yeah, we were like, you're coughing too much, so you're not allowed back on, but maybe <laughs> next week. Next week. But also, when we were talking about the thing we were going to talk about in this episode, we got quite excited and we were like, we should just record this as an episode while we're doing our planning. Yeah, we're very excited. So we have special guest Steph Clark on the podcast. So we are doing our content planning. Steph, you came up with this amazing idea to talk about what the implications are for trial fonts, how those are used by design professionals, how they're used by students. I have some experience. You have very different experience. Mm -hmm. And I just think it'd be really fun to kind of go over how we've used trial fonts in the past and what it means for the design world in general. We are going to talk about that. Are we going to do that now? Are we going to flip the script as well as the host this week? Or are we going to, should we talk about some juicy links first? Ooh. I'm just going like, you know, to throw it all up in the air. Just who knows? I love an impromptu change of scenery. I'm always down for nerd <laughs> alert first. Okay, and let's nerd alert first. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Let's go wild. So you definitely have more experience with trial fonts. I think we can start by giving our own personal anecdotal version of how we experience trial fonts. So my experience of trial fonts, what trial fonts mean to me. So while <laughs> I was doing my my design education, I, would, I, mean, I did at Shillington, which actually came up, I think, in last week's podcast or the week before, talking about Shillington. And we use trial fonts quite often. So they were really useful because we could use them in an education setting to make artwork look super cool and use some interesting fonts from foundries that maybe wouldn't have access to if we had to buy a whole license in order to use their beautiful fonts or beautiful typefaces. So trial fonts were really useful and it was one of those things that when we were searching for fonts or typefaces to use in our projects, we'd always be like, oh, cool, this one's got trial fonts. And particularly in our kind of Slack groups that we had with each other while we were studying, that was definitely something we talked about a lot and lots of us were sharing with each other. So trial fonts, me, they've, they warm my heart when people have good trial fonts available. There are some things that freeze my heart when it comes to trial fonts, which we'll come to in a moment. But you were, when we were talking about this, you were less familiar, you were familiar with them as a concept, of course, but less so in actually using them. That's more recent for you. Yeah. I'd say like during my student era, so what, that was like 2013 to 2017 at Pratt, trial fonts were like not a super well-established mode of using type and testing it out. And also at the time, we had that one computer at school that had a bunch of fonts we could use. My dad helped me out by uh, downloading some fonts for me from his sign <laughs> shop he's at. But in general, there was like not so much a yearning for fonts in that sort of way. And again, I hate to say this, but I was like the type queen of my grade. Like no one cared about fonts <laughs> as much as I did. So it's so interesting when you're saying we talked about it in our discussions with other students. Like, I'd love to hear what foundry you guys, you guys talked about. And then from there, it's just been a very different experience professionally with fonts. I've had a very varied experience. For example, I worked at Penguin Random House right out of college and they had all the fonts in the world you could ever, ever want. And you could request mm. any font and there was no need for trial fonts because if you wanted a font, they buy it, no questions asked. Thousands in that library. Then I moved to events and some people know on this podcast that I walked in the first day and they're like, this is not a font sophisticated place. So there were no licenses anywhere. Things just lived on a server. We we're using fonts illegally, I'm sure, 
all the time. Mm. And they definitely encouraged downloading stuff from DeFont. There was never any budget for fonts, basically. Not a single client project had a budget for fonts. If it was a client that was a commercial client, Uber, Target, they usually provide us fonts. Then at JKR, things were a little bit different. Lots of access to fonts. Trail fonts weren't really a thing because I was doing a lot of packaging work. So what I would do to try out a font, it was usually for the front of a package. I would just go on my fonts, screenshot whatever type I put in the type tester, make outlines, and was doing quick mocks. We'd obviously get licenses when we need it, but trial fonts were not really a thing. And then I enter Thought Matter where I'm working today. I've been there for about four months. Trial fonts are such a thing. I definitely have like... (laughs) interacted with trial fonts, I think, since I've been there. And I think it's really fascinating that five years in my career, I'm finally working somewhere that properly trusts trial fonts and wants to use them and engages with them. So that's exciting. And am I right in saying that at Thought Matter as well, they've actually got someone who like, because this is one of the downfalls, I think, in trial fonts, which we'll talk about maybe in a moment, but you've actually got someone who organizes those sorts of things and works yes. out like, has like a catalog of which ones you've got licenses for, what for, how many, et cetera. These ones are trial ones. These ones have expired. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's incredible. What kind of dream. Yeah, we have a creative operations manager and she's in charge of anything licensing, whether that's a mock-up from online, whether that's a font. And she organizes them to make sure we have trial fonts in the right place, that we get the correct license, that no one has straggling font files on their desktop. So she's definitely having sent and that has made it a lot easier too, because I know there is the difficulty of, is this a trial font? Is this a real font? And fonts can get messy really fast. Yeah, that's certainly something. So if we're back the kind of the pros and cons of, of trial fonts versus some of the other things which Olivia mentioned just now, one of the downsides I definitely find in some trial fonts is that they're not labeled as trial fonts. So when you actually import the file into your computer, into your software, you then come back to it months later, maybe and be like, oh, do I have a license for that one? And then you have to dig through your emails. And especially if it's just you working for yourself and you don't have some magical person to, to catalog these things, mm-hmm. the actual file format does not actually have trial in it. So when you drop down your list in you know, InDesign or something, you're like, oh, that font, Do I? can I even use that for this thing that I'm about to use it for? Which is very painful and very annoying. Now, some of them do actually label their trial fonts accordingly. So it says trial and you're like, great, I know that one is a trial and I'll need to go and get a license for that if I want to use it for this particular piece of work. But that is definitely one of my pain points in trial fonts in general. If you select a trial font on your desktop, I've had moderate use with trial fonts. Mm. Can you tell pretty much right away? Because usually there's a limited character set, correct? Yeah. So sometimes that's the giveaway. As soon as you start using it, you're like, oh, there's the, that's the pink box of death. And therefore mm-hmm. you, because I don't, it doesn't have a full character set. It's usually lots of things like punctuation and diacritics and stuff like that that are missing, which mm-hmm. is fine if you don't need to use that. Maybe you're just doing a headline or something. Uh, which yeah, it's, you can usually then avoid and it's less of an issue. But if you're trying to test a very specific kind of sentence or word or something, you don't have like the letters or the, or the characters or the glyphs or the punctuation, or whatever it is that you need to really get that thing for a demo for something you're going to show a client or whatever it is, that's super annoying. You're like, the thing I need this trial font to do to be a trial font and be useful, it cannot do. Which is very annoying. Mm-hmm. Which is why I was really interested mm-hmm. in your approach. Went over it kind of quickly then. So maybe just going back to it about how you use the type testers on websites, which I'm always like, ugh, type tester or whatever. But you actually use them kind of much more creatively. 
Tell us more. Yeah, mostly because I just wasn't using try-ons for a long time. <laughs> and I think that led to me creatively using them. Again, it would be something for a logo or something for display type purposes. I would type it out. And this is when I'm presenting mock-ups, obviously, not final product. I just like zoom into the type tester. I did this like last month. Do a little screenshot and then bring it into Illustrator image live trace, knowing you're not going to get great vectors, but it'll be a fine approximation. And that's just to test things out so you can change the color and obviously not have a background. And there's certainly a lot of foundries that don't have trial fonts. So I was even doing that last month with a font where I was like, oh, I don't know. We had a budget to buy something for the pitches, but I didn't want to commit to something until kind of proof of concepted it. So that's how I hack the system a little bit. But in general, if I was, for example, looking at long form typography, I think that is really the gray area because you can't just like screenshot a type tester if you're trying to find text for a body copy. And quite truthfully, if there's not a trial font available and I'd have to buy a font, a request to buy a font just for body copy, and it's not through Adobe fonts and it's not through Google fonts, I don't know if I've ever done that. Typically for smaller text, I don't know if I'd be able to invest in body copy without a trial font just because there's a lot of great body copy fonts out there. Yeah, you'd probably just choose another font that you either yeah. had access to already or that there was on Adobe or on Google maybe that you would just not use that font, I guess, in most cases, particularly something like body copy where it's probably slightly less idiosyncratic for the specific thing you're looking for, for more like a headline or a branding or a you know, packaging piece of work or something. Yeah, I definitely wanted to point out, we're sharing this in the newsletter this week, but the Dalton Mog article from 2015 with Creative Block about how they started their trial fonts program, which in 2015 was kind of ahead of their curve. And they established the precedent for using trial fonts for pitches, non-commercial work, and for student projects. And Having them talk about the freedom where it's like so limiting to only use fonts that are within your server or that's already purchased by your company, that's just not going to actually move new fonts into the actual graphic design realm and their choice to use trial fonts to help with projects to get sold into clients is so important. They're saying, don't put type as the last decision. The type should be first. And in order to do that, that leads to why we want to do trial fonts is because we want designers to be able to prioritize type. And I just think that's like a really important ethos at the forefront of trial fonts. Yeah. And I did a little audit with some different foundries and noticed everyone kind of has their own little variations on it. Pretty much everyone wants your email, which I think is funny, mm -hmm. but also fair. <laughs> It's smart. I think Ono has a very specific demo fonts license. They're mm -hmm. saying it can be used in student work. It can't be used by a student in paid work, but you can also post experimental or personal work to social media with an attribution of the typeface, tagging Ono Typeco and a compliment, which I think is like <laughs> so Ono. Very Ono. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone has kind of their own flex variations on that. What foundries did you use as like a student for your trial era? Yeah. And I think that's a really good point actually as well on the licensing. Trial licenses can vary from foundry to foundry as well, like what you can use them. Like some of them are a little bit more loose. They're like, you're a student, you can know like the oh no one. 
you can use it in student work and that's fine. But if you're a student, but you're doing paid work, you can't, but some of them actually are like, yeah, it's cool. If you do, if a student, but you're doing paid work, then yeah, go for your life and you can use it. Yeah. That type of stuff. So look, yeah, you can read the small print. One of the foundries it's not quite, and this I think this is where we get into slightly more creative versions of trial font. So Pangram Pangram, who are a foundry we've talked about several times on the podcast and in the newsletter and things they do I suppose what is almost an alternative version of trial fonts that you can buy like a student pack basically and you buy I can't remember the pricing of it I meant to look it up and I'll look it up in a moment it's like $50 or something like that and you get access to pretty much all of their fonts and I think they will also update it if you've bought one previously and they add new stuff to it I think you can email them and get like the new things that have been added and you've got the license of how you can use those is quite limited or is more limited than if you've bought the full license for a typeface but it's incredible that they're such high quality they're so varied as well you're not just getting like 20 sans or 20 serifs that will look the same or very Mm -hmm. similar you're getting a really good variety and they've made some extra revenue for themselves. It's a little bit more than a trial font, but it is more complete than a trial font, but you can charge for it because it's such a value add product. And I think that's just a really clever stroke of marketing genius. We talked about marketing last week around, again, hearing the need or seeing the need that designers have or this demographic of designers have and creating a really friendly product for them. Yeah, I think that's a great example of how the type design world is also democratizing a little bit because understanding that accessibility to fonts is helping accessibility design and so forth. Like fonts, as nerdy as it sounds, are like the future of what graphic design is going to look like. You know, our graphic design is only going to continue to evolve with the more fonts that are created. And for typefaces to get ahead of the curve and get in people's hands sooner, even if that means giving out a trial license, I think that's really successful. And then something else I wanted to mention was I was doing some browsing. Trial fonts are harder to come by in the marketplace world. So I wanted to open up my fonts that's owned by Monotype and I love typography's marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I think because they're like a third party seller, they aren't really offering trial fonts and a lot of their fonts and mm-hmm. um, because they're posting on behalf of someone else. So I think if like you're using a marketplace, but you want access to a trial font, definitely look at individual foundries. They may or may not offer trial fonts yeah, or yeah. I don't know, someone of these small foundries are just people. If you reach out and say, hey, I have a student project or we're pitching a client, we'd love to use this typeface. Can we get a trial license? Who knows exactly what they'll say, but most of the time, if that pitch goes well, someone's going to be purchasing your font and then someone else is going to see your font when it's out in the world. So like interesting to also note that things might not be available at big marketplaces, but for trial fonts, maybe go directly to the foundry is a good standard practice. Yeah. And I think with both of those examples and also the Dalton Marg example and the Pangram Pangram example, all of them, what they're doing is making it easier for designers to sell their goods. And ultimately that's yeah. model, isn't it? Like for the most part, the people buying fonts are designers and on the most part, again, those designers are buying it on behalf of client projects. So you want it to make it as easy as possible for those designers to get your fonts in front of the client's eyes. So this is how they've done it. And and also for something like Pangram Pangram with this starter pack, I've just looked it up. It's 300 weights of 31 fonts for $29. 
which no way. Know, is pretty accessible. Yeah. And also for these people, you know, particularly as this is for students, or well, that's kind of really the, the aimed, the target market, who are they going to remember in terms of foundries yeah. when they're then working in a studio or they're out on their own, they're freelancing, they're doing client work. They're going to remember Pangram Pangram <laughs> and they're going to go straight there to find some fonts to take to their client projects. And same with Dalton Mark as well. Like that's, again, making it easier for them to help designers to buy, to sell their fonts into projects is just helping them as well. And again, I think both of these, it just shows that really great insight into the reality of how their product is being used. That's an excellent point. And I love that message to any of the foundry owners out there that that might be a good reason to have a trial font. Yeah. And again, it's just reducing friction. I think one of the things that I found in terms of friction when I have wanted trial fonts before and the website and there's the foundry has said, oh yeah, we do trial fonts. You're like, sweet. And I'm based in Australia. So I'll be like, oh, I'm doing some work on like a Sunday or whatever. And I want this trial font. You email them. They're like, oh, you've got to like email us it for us. And we're based in Germany. And so... And we need to send you the thing. So you might not get it till like Wednesday. And I'm like, that the moment will have gone by then. So that's, again, that's, and I know that not everyone has the access to the systems and things like that as well, but where these things can be automated is a good, good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that might be a, a good mic drop for yeah. Nerd Alert. <laughs> Any other bonus trial font stuff you want to add? Oh, no. The other point we did find we were talking about earlier that we should mention is Swiss Type Foundry, who apparently have been doing trial fonts since 2007. So they were one of the first or the first maybe even that they were talking about that they have been offering trial fonts. So props to Swiss Type Foundry, who saw the future before the future was here. Beautiful way to put it. Of course, they're from Switzerland. (laughs) They're like, we own the typeface world and we're seeing the future as we always have. That's a good. So those clocks that helps. That's all those. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, are you ready to jump in the links? Let's talk about some links. We're going to talk about another podcast, which feels, I don't know, like we don't do this very often. I don't know if this is like a jealousy thing or what, but we don't have to talk about the podcast. I know. But we're going to talk about another podcast. It's a design podcast, but the format was quite different and I really loved it. You found this one. The podcast is called The NDA Podcast. The podcast episode is called Death by Comments. Mm -hmm. So it's a great kind of panel discussion with the host and with a few different people from the industry. They're talking to Armin Witt from Under Consideration and Brand New, which is the home page for all the insane comments the design world <laughs> has to make. Um, Tom Banks from Design Week, James Greenfield from Koto Studio, and Liv King, who we are big fans of. Friend of the show. Yeah, who is at Eucalyptus. So it's hosted by Katie Cadwell, and she conducts this conversation around is the comment section, the general comment section, is that helpful for mm-hmm. the design world? Is it harmful for the design world? Where does it kind of live in the gray area? And um, when do comments go too far? And why do we also need the comment section, even if it's like one of the most hated places in the design <laughs> industry? But yeah, you found this podcast. I want to know why you wanted to bring this to the table this week. Well, there's a few things in there that I was like, oh, we've kind of talked about that from a different perspective or from, you know, particularly around like social media and stuff like that. It's something that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast and in in the articles and things we share and marketing and all of those types of things as well. And a bit more in there around like the mental health of designers and this kind of industry too. And just some of the stuff that is inherent in the industry, but feels maybe not super helpful as well, which is, I guess is other stuff we, we talk about as well. So it's just a nice combination of those things and some really interesting insights as well, which I 
personally really enjoyed listening to and hearing the insights of four designers, but coming from quite different directions. So Armin was talking about actually, you know, they're really proud of the comments section on Brand New, even though it's it's known for being the yeah the place where your soul might go to die <laughs> if you're yeah. a designer and maybe if you worked on those things but without being too much this is this is a spoiler alert if you haven't listened to this episode yet of the NDA podcast what they were saying towards the end of the episode which I found fascinating was that since they've put the comments on brand new behind the paywall so now you have to be a subscriber to brand new to access the comment section and, and to comment the comments have got way more constructive in a really positive way so they're not all still really they're not all now glowing and oh I love everything that type of thing but there is this sense that people who are subscribing and are paying to subscribe have some level of skin in the game and want to raise the bar and want the industry to be good and all of these types of things so therefore they're the comments now are much more thoughtful and yeah they might not still like the thing that they're commenting on but the structure of those comments is going to be a bit more sensible and thoughtful yeah there's some like pretty juicy behind the scenes details as far as brand new and i think brand new is like definitely a darling of the industry mm -hmm. they have a paywall they started a year to maybe a couple yeah, years a year ago, or so ago i think he said yeah yeah and a lot of people that appreciate them in the industry kind of jumped in on that. It's really affordable. I think it's $20 a year is what I pay. So it's interesting to kind of hear Armin's perspective of, hey, yeah, this is, first of all, a very subjective perspective. I write from my opinion. I'm evaluating the work only, not necessarily the people beyond the work. Like, I'm just evaluating. I've done that forever. And it was interesting when he was talking about when people decide to get really critical. He yes. said people really come after Pentagram. Oh, uh, yes. I was say this. Yeah, yeah, More yeah. so than Pentagram, they'll come after Polisher, Polisher and like yeah. say personal comments. I think that's when he's like, okay, so if there's any line to draw, like I typically want people to kind of express themselves freely. He was saying something like if you're writing a clever sentence and you're being a little bit of an asshole, if it's clever and it's not the work, I'm not going to like – remove you from the forum but he was like if you're going after people personally like i'm, I'm not going to tolerate that yeah but he's only he said he's only blocked maybe two or three people in however many years of running it yeah yeah which is pretty wild because i feel like things get nasty i remember getting really nervous when i was working on Velveeta that that was going to be put up on brand new and then everything i've been working on for a year was going to be torn down by people as the fear naturally goes and he also talks about how people really want like the rookies to do well on brand new which I thought was interesting um, yes. there's like a lot of love for companies that aren't well known and then maybe a more critical eye for uh, biggest, one of those bigger cool studios yeah yeah the bigger studios one of the things he did say like whilst he doesn't necessarily moderate or edit the kind of comments and things like that unless there's something really horrendous on there he did say that when he gets submissions because people submit their work to brand new that he if he knows that they're like, particularly if they're a newer studio or you know, that's maybe they're one of their first times they've been been on brand new and he knows it's going to get absolutely torn to shreds, he'll say, hey, actually, not sure if this is ready or this might not get the reaction you're hoping for. And then either they'll be like, no, that's fine. Let them have it. And he's like, okay, I've warned you. And he'll let them, he'll put it on or they'll be like, oh, okay, thanks. And maybe not submit that time or whatever. But he said with the bigger studios, he's like, they know what they're in for. They, 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 he'll put that up if they submit it, even if he knows it's going to get the, a less positive reaction. 
Yeah, which I think is, you know, exactly. It's a subjective vlog. I think that keeps things a little bit varied. And without giving away too much, I think you guys should all listen to this podcast episode. Liv King has a really interesting story about how something on Brand New got really well received. And then the community that was actually designed for was quite critical of it and Mm -hmm. how she handled that as a design leader, knowing there's younger designers on there and any advice to people that might have a similar kind of situation on their hands where, yeah. you know, maybe sometimes does it matter more if it's received by the industry or does it matter more for the community it's serving? I think that's a really interesting question that gets brought up several times. Yeah, that was a really interesting part of the conversation that came, yeah, like I said, that came up a couple of times around how useful it is and for who and who do you need to protect in those situations? Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Super interesting and great. And when I hit play on the podcast and it's about just over an hour long, about an hour and six, seven minutes, I thought, oh, you know, take this conversation for that long. I wonder if I'll listen to the whole thing. And by the end, I was very gripped. I yes. was like, oh, it's, it's over already. Like it was, yeah, they, they went all over the place in places that I didn't expect them to go. And so it's, yeah, highly, highly worth listening to. Big recommend. Agreed. All right. Mm-hmm. Next article in our roundup is from our friends over at I Love Typography. They mm-hmm. did this great list of fonts for books using um, a bunch of typefaces in their marketplace and catalog. And I think we were talking about sometimes it's not the first typefaces that you're going to purchase out the gate because sometimes you're like, okay, I've seen I've seen every book typeface or text typeface, but it's nice to see what else is being created out there, what other options we have. And there's some really beautiful examples that they have in their catalog that I'm really excited to see, including serif and sans serif, families that have the same skeleton with the sans serif and the serif, and families that have different skeletons with serif and sans serif, which seems like a more nuanced, challenging uh, predicament. But yeah, some really great classic, more modern takes, lots of good stuff to look at in here. Yeah, the comma-based one was the one that surprised me the most as I was scrolling through. I was like, whoa, what's this? That's not what I expected to see, which is this flare serif typeface is what they they called it. And actually, even in the article, it says it wouldn't have been the first choice for extended amounts of text, but actually it sets a very nice body copy, apparently. So that was cool. I didn't expect to see something as interesting or different looking to that. I mostly expected the some sort of beautiful serifs in particular. The other one I really liked was Lazy Dogs, which is a great name for a type foundry, Fabio Pro, which I enjoyed looking at a lot as well. Some nice manacles in it as well, which is always an added bonus. I know you like a manacle too. I do love a manicure. Absolutely. I also really like that one too because it has that- The Fabio one or the comma base one? Yeah, the Fabio. I mean, I liked yeah. both, but the Fabio one definitely stood out because of how much it harkens back to really old type of the 1800s in the way that the skeletons are built, but it doesn't have like the distressed nature of it. So it seems like it'd be really great in smaller sizes. And also sometimes body copy doesn't carry too much historical context with it, but I think that's something that this one does really well still Mm. remaining fairly modern in design and practice. So yes, great find. And the other one that was maybe a little bit surprising, particularly the just more the display was that new sans and news serif, which were towards the bottom of the article, which was actually meant to be used in newspapers, which I guess the the name says that too, but might be one worth looking at in a book as well. Again, it's just a little bit different. Again, it's some of them, the styles have got more of that flair kind of look to them, but it's more of a sans in most of the styles. But there is a headline, which is more of a funky kind of serif there too. 
Yeah, there's like a nice, nice variety and mm. always reminds me that, you know, as much as I think there's limitations in text body copy, like I love it when a typeface can surprise me when it looks mm. great at small sizes. I think that happened last week when we were talking about Sinistral Hand, mm. um, yes. which was a yeah. really calligraphic typeface that was like, oh, this reads really well. Mm, Who knew? Absolutely. And some nice new, it's always good to look at these. And this is a, there's loads of options on this page, but also some, probably some foundries or designers you haven't heard of. Yeah. The benefit of I love typography. We're always trying to get out there with those new foundries. And I think that goes along well with our next article, which you found, which is exciting. So Franco Jonas, I think that's how you say the name, or Franco with my American accent, Franco Jonas. <laughs> also, would it be Jonas or Jonas? Yeah, Jonas, maybe. I don't, or Jonas. Franco, tell us. We'll reach out. Yeah, Franco, <laughs> respond to us. Let us know. And it's a great interview about the type design scene in Chile, which I don't know much about the type design scene there. But I learned from this article, it kind of gives a brief history of how typography was brought to Chile and what its history has been like throughout the past century and how the advent of the desktop computer in the 90s really propelled it forward. And because of this, they have a very shortened history of typography in their country that's really only been around in a more vibrant, flourishing way for the past 20 years. There's new wave of designers that are sharing knowledge and teaching one another in the country. And Franco, being a foundry owner in Chile, talks about what that's been like and designing for scripts other than Latin. And definitely like a nice window into what the education system would look like. I think they do mm-hmm. have an education program called at the Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile. It sounds like you can get a diploma in typography there, which I didn't know Mm -hmm. about. So I think we're always kind of on the lookout for other type schools, which is just like always exciting information. I think we've talked about Santiago before as a type education. I think it has come up. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't get mentioned as much as, you know, the Hague and um, Reading and some of the other ones, obviously, as well. But it was cool. And also it was only in 2012 that they started to offer that as well. So given that is being talked about sometimes in the same realm as other programs. It's pretty cool that it is so recent that it's been offered. Yeah. I just can't even imagine if there was only one school in the US that was teaching type design. We're so fortunate to have so many like bountiful resources and it's all got to start somewhere. So it's really exciting that like Chile has this really short history, but it's clearly like accelerated with a program that will teach people about type design. And there was loads of references to some other Chilean designers and artists and things as well. So it's well worth it. It's actually quite an in-depth interview article. So yeah, well worth looking at. And I ended up opening lots of other tabs when I was reading this one over the weekend. And yeah, so there's lots of things I then went and looked at afterwards. So it's lots of inspiration in this one. And especially if you, like us, are always looking to broaden your understanding and knowledge and exposure to other artists and other designers in places that you maybe don't live. Yeah, that's perfectly put. Amazing. (laughs) Finally, we're going to end our links review with a really interesting Mm -hmm. one from Creative Review titled Mm -hmm. Modern Life's Visual Identity Puts a Different Spin on Insurance. This is a life insurance brokerage rebrand which I don't know if we've talked about a life insurance rebrand before. 
But why did you bring this to the table this week? Well, I work with in the clients I've got in the other work I do, I've got about four insurance companies that I work with. So I think insurance is always just on my mind. <laughs> so anytime yeah. I see something insurance, it always kind of jumps out. I'm like, oh, I wonder what someone else is doing on that because uh, lots of my clients are insurance companies. So this one I really liked because it's financial products and financial services delivered and with a visual identity that looks distinctly different to most other financial services and products um, around at the moment and particularly something in insurance and particularly something like life insurance that feels very like grown up and sensible and kind of frightening because you're insuring against your own death and what's going to happen if that happens. So the fact that they have gone with something really thoughtful around the typography, which we'll talk about in a moment, but also these really beautiful illustrations as well, which are just really human and quite charming, which I think is a bit of a mica word that I like to like to borrow sometimes. <laughs> we'll channel mica with that, and uh, which they used the French illustrator whose name I've just lost, uh, which Vincent we'll Mahé. Oh yes, Vincent Mahé. Thank you. Um, whose work I think I've seen in other things as well and have enjoyed previously. But yeah, and I think it's just a nice way of humanizing something that is probably a bit frightening, a bit scary for people to think about. And this really, this color palette as well, which I'll ask for your thoughts on in a moment, which is a lot more muted and less navy blue and gray than you'd get in a lot of financial products normally. Yes. It's this I think lovely he- like forest green and orange and this kind of peachy color, isn't it? Humanizing is the perfect way to put this because, yeah, exactly. Like it's a scary thing that has to do with finances, but also your mortality and, oh, God. But I can't imagine more inviting design, I think, when I see this between the illustrations that are charming but aren't frivolous and the Mm. typography, which just seems like it has some gravitas, but it's not cold and off-putting the way that some financial institutions really go for or something really straightforward with no frills. So I think all the ways you put that is is so nicely. And I think it's interesting they bring up who the audience for the project is. And Mm. the branding studio talks about it. The branding studio is called 29, which did you know the studio before? I didn't know them. No, I was going to ask if you did. No, they're based between Berlin, New York, and Texas. So definitely want to check them out. But they said that the audience for the project was a bit complicated because there was advisors, there were industry veterans with decades of experience, and then there was also newcomers. There's talking about this younger audience having more accustomed to tech and app designed things to kind of feel like they're more comfortable with something that maybe looks like an Airbnb or a MailChimp rather Mm -hmm. than something really cold and like generations old. So interesting to think about where they where their mindset was when they made the choices. Yeah. And I love these kind of almost these vignettes of the illustrations that they've got, which are in this this really nice subtle color palette, but also this idea of the cutout that they've got. And it's almost like these cutouts of real life, which they've then taken into potentially by the looks of it in the like their hard copy kind of brochures or um, materials that they might send out to clients as well and having those those cutouts that layer as well, which I just any kind of good paperwork I'm always a bit of a fan of. Then so that will always get me. But yeah. <laughs> so this one's good. It's got some nice examples of that. I feel like it just teases you. You just want to like see more of it. Like there's several examples mm-hmm. in the article, but I know they link to the Branding Studio 29's website at the bottom. Definitely recommend checking it out. And I feel like I'm even more satisfied when you start seeing how this brand comes to life with photography and stationery and all sorts of stuff. So delicious. Delicious. Great find stuff. Great finds all around. Great chats. Absolutely. We got to get you on more often. 
Well, we know. When we make the times work, I know. I will appear magically. That's going to be great. Well, let us know what you think. Let us know what your thoughts are about trial fonts. We want to hear from the community about, you know, what your experiences are, what you crave for in the trial fonts world, how they've helped you. Certainly would love to hear. It seems like everyone has a really individual experience with it all. Mm. Yeah. And as usual, we put it in the, well, I do anyway, we put it in the newsletter every week. If you find things on the internet or in real life, IRL, that you would like us to talk about or hear our thoughts on, you know how to find us. You can find us on Instagram or on Twitter at the League of, or drop us an email. Just hit reply to your newsletter. Oh yeah. We check the inbox. Mm. All right. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Do 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 do